Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon, and on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals on how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any platform like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management, and this is episode 64. Welcome back to another episode of the Club Management Podcast. We were gone for a minute, now we're back in this thing, and I'm so sorry for the um, long hiatus. I was actually just so busy behind the scenes with DJ gigs, um, interviews, just personal work, (laughs) a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I just felt it was um, a good time to just kind of take a break, reset, and shift my energy to some other things, but uh, had to come back and bring you guys some more episodes, and they are well worth the wait, let me tell you. Uh, Before we jump into this episode and the guest that we have today, I want to talk a little bit about what I've been doing behind the scenes. This past weekend, I went to Montreal where I played my first Canada show, had an absolute blast. I want to give a big thank you and a big shout out to Charles Cozy from Air Commune. Um, just an incredible venue, incredible company doing really fun things to uplift, empower, unite the music community out there in Montreal. So I actually played two shows, one at a venue called Esplanade Louvain and La Cantine, both uh, both owned by Air Commune. And it was just really incredible. The first night was oddly enough a Thursday night show when I tell you over 500 people showed up to that venue because it's an open air venue. So there's a lot of space for people to kind of move around, pop between different bar stations and, you know, get their drinks and hang out. Um, but 500 people on a Thursday night is a really, really big deal. You know, um, that's kind of unheard of sometimes in, in different cities on a Thursday night, unless you're pulling in like a headliner, but it was really cool to have that many people to come out and just dance, you know, and dance like in the middle of this kind of like a, an abandoned lot is where Esplanade Louvain is located and they've got so much extra space. So the venue is expandable. They can kind of adjust how they want to put the stage, how far they want to put uh, the bars, porta potties things of that nature and yeah I mean it was just a fun time my dad joined for the entire trip and he was just so blown away by it all um Friday night actually we went to a really cool place in Montreal's old port which was La Cantine right by the river stunning views of um you know parks sort of that kind of downtown area in Montreal and it was chill. Not a lot of people showed up to that show, but I was still kind of stoked to be able to just kind of play and you know, watch people eat and enjoy themselves at their tables and whatnot. Um, so I was happy either way for the low key vibe. And Charles just treat you know treated me and my dad like kings and queens the entire weekend. So big shout out to him. Big shout out to all the sweet messages that I received afterwards. Um, you know, still still just kind of reeling from all of that and really had just a blast when I went to Montreal. I can't say that enough. Can't wait to go back and I hope that it's warmer when I do return (laughs) because it was a little bit cold. They're starting to go into their fall season, which I didn't realize uh, comes a bit earlier for them than us here in New York City. So I definitely went out there with no jacket, 
uh, and yeah, was definitely not properly clothed while I was there the entire time. But uh, you know, Charles had coats for me and, and my pops, and we were able to stay warm for the two days that we were there. So big, big shout out to him. And then I also want to give a huge shout out to Blurry. Uh, there was a really, really great show that I did with her and um, No Intimate and Logan Takahashi actually at Mood Ring a couple of weeks back. That was just so much fun. It's always a good time at Mood Ring. The sound system's good. The people are always just kind of following along and um, so receptive to dis different sounds. So I really appreciated that party as well. And there's so much to look forward to these next couple of months. I cannot begin to explain how excited, how nervous I am about all these things that are happening, but, um, it's time, you know, like it's time to step into that season with faith, with confidence and just have a ball. Oh, I can't, I almost forgot. There was also the Sorry Records Showcase at Good Room with the Carrie Nation. That was epic. Uh, it was me, Nick Boyd, and Allie Berger. We took over the bad room uh, a couple weekends back. And that set is actually recorded. Hopefully, I'll have that up for you guys to listen to on my SoundCloud page. But just high energy all night. Uh, very sweaty because they didn't have an air conditioner working in there <laughs> but it was so good I had such a good time and like the Carrie Nation just bought it back to back to back in the good room packed the entire time that I was there and got a chance to kind of sneak up to the front and watch Nita Aviance um, just destroy the sound system there so great and really lucky and happy to be a part of that as well uh, but yes coming up super excited i'm going to be playing with the legendary dj noir at nowadays on october 8th this is a full circle moment considering we've had the legendary queen here on club management uh, a few months back talking about her grind in the industry the history of duke bounce work which was so special and this will actually be our first time meeting each other in person so that's going to be really really nice um and just happy to be back on that incredible sound system if you've ever been in nowadays that is just something that they are known for their incredible hospitality and that impeccable sound system so cannot wait to bang the box there on october 8th now moving on today on the show i'm super excited to share a lovely chat that i had with writer dj and radio host i mean all around music connoisseur martin pepperell Martin has been documenting all corners of the music industry and different scenes through his incredible interview pieces with music platforms like Mixmag and Dazed. The New Zealand-based star also has radio residencies at Skylab and LA's Dub Lab, where he digs deep into the barrel, showcasing music that's completely under the radar. Are you interested in learning more about New Zealand's new soul and boogie scene? Martin's got you covered. What about Cairo's buzzing cassette culture? I'm sure Martin can explain. <laughs> I had a great chat with Martin about New Zealand's thriving music scene and all of the incredible music that he's currently listening to at the moment. We also talked about what it's like to rave at 14 in New Zealand, and we chat about the ups and downs and the highs and the lows of DJ culture. Check this out. 
um, when we were chatting over Instagram, I was like, wow, you're talking about a lot of really great stuff here. I would love to just have you on the show and pick your brain about all the incredible music you're listening to and what you do in your scene uh, over where you lived. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't help but notice you spend a bit of time in South Asia and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spent like five yeah. years there. Oh, my God. And the music scene is unreal out there. Very, very interesting, Shannon. I feel like that's a whole conversation in itself, but maybe that's for another time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there's incredible scenes out there from, oh, my God, the boring room, what's going on with all club and that whole scene. I mean, it's just crazy. I, I really feel like I didn't spend enough time out there to, you know, get a really uh, clear picture of what's going on across all the cities but um yeah it's definitely interesting you ever met uh tom yeti from shanghai uh no but i have heard of the yeti out crew yeah 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 no i met him in melbourne a couple of months ago when i was there's a um online radio station in melbourne called skylab radio mm. similar format to like the lot radio nts dub lab all of that um right um run by some really great people um in melbourne just Melbourne really is one of the great cities in the world, I think, for um, DJing, because when you go out there at nighttime, um, you look around all these different bars and lounges and venues, and every single one of them have got DJs in there just playing music, and they've got the clubs, but they also have like the lounges where people really have no pressure on them. They can just play what they want to play in those environments, and you've got people working in that sort of context three to five nights a week. Yeah. um, Skylab Radio is like a big thing within that Melbourne Melbourne ecosystem. It's kind of interesting because there's also there's this hybrid thing going on um, not far from them. There's another place called Hope Street Radio, which is in the Collingwood Yards. But calling up Hope Street Radio almost is a um, misleading because when you get there, it's a lounge bar and a wine bar with like a great food menu and um it's in this yard area with like a record store and a bookstore and everyone comes and hangs out there wow in the evenings. and the, yeah and the djs just happen to be broadcasting live on the internet on this radio station as well but it's sort of like if the radio station was a club so that's something i was thinking about when you talked to um the great the great new york dj voices Mm-hmm. I was thinking about what um she was saying about with um nowadays the whole thing of having the multiple zones yeah. Um, yeah. and how that really allows people to survive through a longer evening. And I think it's so true when I think about it in my lifetime, different clubs or spaces I've been to around the world. Whenever it's multi-zone, you've got the provision for people to be able to sit down or chill for a bit somewhere. Maybe you've got a section where you can get food and orbit out to a bit. Um, that's a big part of how you make a good party, I think. Like having like a really interesting space people want to spend the whole evening in. Yeah, that too. Yeah, nowadays is a perfect example of that. And I also love how they utilize the space for things that aren't dance oriented, right? Like they, you know, show documentaries or all kinds of stuff on a projector and then they do dance classes. I mean, it's just really incredible. I think nowadays is one of my favorite venues in the city, honestly, just because of that reason. There's so much going on. Um, but I'm interested to hear about your side of the world and what's yeah. going on, yeah, with the music scene out there. Um, okay. Let's just start from the beginning. What? Tell yeah. me about yourself. Okay, well, my name's Martin Pepperell. I live in 
Wellington, which is the capital city of New Zealand, a uh, small archipelago of islands about four hours plane flight from Australia. Um, born there, grew up there. Um, in the 90s as a teenager, was very lucky to be able to um, get involved in a very interesting warehouse rave scene at the time, as um, things like... Um, House and techno, jungle and drum and bass were arriving in New Zealand. And um, an interesting thing, I think, to note with that, just quickly, is um, so in the 80s, in the 80s down here, all the cool DJs were um, hip-hop DJs or club DJs. I guess they called it club in a sense, because obviously in the 80s, there's so many less records across the styles. So most people played in an eclectic or open format style. And right. that's like a thing you'll find, you know, like if you talk to someone who played hip-hop, in the early 80s, there's a good chance it was a like hip-hop, electro, um, you know, maybe like a bit of like boogie or disco funk or whatever, that sort of thing. So, you know, all the DJs in the 80s down here, most of them start as hip-hop DJs. Mm-hmm. We roll into the 90s and then some people realise, hey, actually, um, I've spent the last half of my set playing the instrumentals off the records rather than the vocal versions. Um, and then like you start hearing you know stuff like acid house or um you know breakbeat hardcore early jungle um house and techno and people start realizing okay actually like this is like my pathway so there's this whole thing here where um people here introduced to um hip-hop end up like branching off from there and sort of becoming like the foundation of the house and um techno and jungle drum and bass scenes and then there's all these little interesting convergences in the background like something we were really lucky in my city in 1982 uh black american basketball player named kenny mcfadden he was from lansing michigan he played with magic johnson when he was a kid and he um ended up coming to new zealand to play for um it was the first year that imports were allowed in from overseas and he ended up coming to play this, for this team called the exchequer saints because he injured himself um the previous year so he wasn't gonna be able to make the mm. nba um tryout so there he basically they go well look we still want you to play you can play overseas you can go to czechoslovakia or you can go to new zealand so he goes to new zealand um turns up i mean obviously there wasn't like a huge number of black black americans or africans in new zealand at that point but in the 70s like there had been um a lot of people would come to do work as like disco djs or musicians um but he ends up being the guy who introduces a whole bunch of people to hip-hop and club music in the city because he had a brother in new york who was a dj and his brother used to record new york radio to cassette and would mail him cassette tape every two weeks so every two weeks kenny had these cassettes which he was dubbing off and he'd meet like various kids through basketball or music and he'd give them copies of the cassettes and that became like their education about the foundation 80s hip-hop electro like club music and all that stuff and he did a bit of rapping too and um he was best friends with this guy called dj tp good friend of mine who was sort of the first real hip-hop club dj down here and um who used to uh, rap as well and do tricks and things and they had this sort of little alliance where they educated a whole generation and then um, after that like you know new kids started turning up who started making the music and new djs and all of those things like so it's kind of like it's kind of interesting backstory to how it all um starts to unfold um, yeah. but anyway yeah. by, the, by the time i got involved this was all ancient history so like like mid 90s like as a teenager 
all of that and then at the same time as you've got like all ages like punk rock and alternative rock shows and things like that and there's community radio yeah and just all these like things and reasons you know like great international performances all the stuff to get excited about music um and you know i mean i guess you know most people most of us were excited for a while um and you spend several years really just purely as a fan you know going to shows and enjoying things and eventually some ideas start to form in the back of your head right right of course yeah but thinking hey maybe some of the stuff like i'd like to do or maybe i want to do this or that and quite often the thing that you think you might want to do at first might not actually be the thing that you end up doing Mm -hmm. i don't know how much of that resonates with you or not yeah no (laughs) it makes total sense um i was going to ask you i mean in that sort of early discovery period of you just kind of listening to a bunch of different genres at that time were there any specific clubs or parties that you remember that uh, really just kind of like spoke to you uh, as a young adult? The really important thing was um, the, every weekend there were really great warehouse parties in different locations around the city. And this mm-hmm. is something that was true would be true in most cities in New Zealand and probably Australia at the time. In a city living hadn't majorly kicked off yet. So the people who lived in the cities were more sort of artists like something and converted apartment so you didn't have a lot of noise control issues this Mm. is something that changes in the late 90s gentrification starts kicking in people start moving into the cities noise control comes in suddenly that whole thing isn't viable anymore and everything has to move into more nightclub style settings where Mm. um you know they've got the um soundproofing stuff and it's funny because in the 80s from what i've been told it was all nightclub stuff in wellington in the 80s and then there's this period in the 90s where it goes into the warehouses and then all of these factors force it to go back into the clubs. Um, so really, really, really important one to Wellington from about 1998 onwards for about five or six years was a place called Studio Nine. Mm. And um, Studio Nine was down this little um, alleyway in this little courtyard called the, the Edward Street Precinct. It was up a staircase. Um and they had all of the best um, house techno and drum and bass nights there for a period of time. I mean, I saw, um, I mean, this is an interesting thing too with um, Wellington House and Techno um, and then drum and bass later on. All of the big name figures you could name from places like Chicago and Detroit and London all came through and played during that period of time to crowds of like between 300 to seven or eight hundred people um after a while they added a second room on called sub nine where they could do slightly bigger shows there was a little lounge area Mm -hmm. called the nine bar that would have like house or hip-hop djs so at its peak you had the three rooms going plus you had the outdoor area where people would like stand outside smoking whatever there were some restaurants nearby and there were a couple of other bars and clubs in the courtyard as well um so it created the whole atmosphere of this was an entertainment district Mm. and i mean look they all they all came through you know i remember seeing jeff mills up there um i mean you can name anyone from out of the drum and bass thing all of the big house figures so this was all going on but then at the same time because new zealand australia really interesting thing Mm. big cultural influence from the united states but also a big cultural influence from the uk so things like soul to soul were like huge out here in the late 80s early 90s that sort of thing really um resonates and connects with the local like indigenous and polynesian populations um 
so there's this whole sort of thing where um it's like the influence of um american music a lot of black american music a lot of black british like caribbean british music all coming together and then as you roll into the um 90s people starting to um try and find ways to do their own local take or local version on it you know with some things which were either in like the hip-hop space for example you know some people who were um the children immigrants from the cook islands might like take like sort of like the ukuleles or the log drums and put them into their tracks some people would like sing in like Samoan or tongan and choruses um all these different like um and all of the local like maori language stuff so all these different like things like going on within this landscape and there's this thing that happens in most of the centers around the country during this time where um Mm-hmm. there's this collision between live music and dj music so mm-hmm. a lot of venues around the country places like real famous one in auckland was called cause celebre and the box cause celebre is like a jazz lounge jazz bands with rappers and singers over the top and djs mm-hmm. working with them and then in the box it's like people playing house or techno and drum bass so there's this whole sort of juxtaposition going on at the time where you're seeing djs and you're seeing live bands together and you're also saying things which are really hybridizing it um but there's a really famous new zealand group called fat freddy's drop where the drummer was an mpc player so you'd have like an mpc player and keyboards and then a horn section and like a soul vocalist um sort of things like that so there's this whole fusion and then even when you move beyond that like it's interesting things like the hip-hop groups and the punk groups would perform together at like warehouse events and then maybe there'd be like a club dj at the end of the night or something and i think like this sort of iteration this kind of thing like probably happens in a lot of the main centers around the world during this period of time late 90s going into early 2000s that's awesome see i'm glad to have you on the show because i feel like I'm sometimes so uh, closed off being in my American bubble (laughs) about what's going on elsewhere outside of the scene, the immediate scene here. So this is quite nice. And I feel like as a writer, because you're an amazing writer, um, you tend to look in a lot of the corners of the music industry where people should be looking but don't tend to look. Um, and I really love the interview, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering her name, but uh, the Mexican-American artist, uh, Afnafi, uh, Debit is her name? Or? Debit, yeah, Delia, yeah, Debit, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, the uh, the EP that she came out with in 2019, I think it's called System, was so interesting. Yeah, the drum. <laughs> hey, that EP's fire, right? Like, um, yeah. there's also some, some of the tracks on um, the um, Animus, her first album. You know, there's some of there's some of the records on there. There's a few fucking club records on there where you know you like chuck those and like in your folder with a bit of Laurel Halo, a bit of Marie Davidson. Um, you know, like <laughs> put in some Yeezy or whatever. And I mean, like you're just you're away. <laughs> That's true. Away. Right. Delia Delia is a very very talented person. Hmm. Uh, but you were talking about a lot of incredible uh, venues in New Zealand. I know briefly when we spoke over Instagram, you were telling me about some sort of warehouse party that you went to at fourteen. <laughs> was that was that one of the uh, venues that you went to, or? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the sort of stuff I'm talking about. Um, okay. But I mean, if we wanted to get like into that one very specifically, if we wanted to give details, so that was an event called Steps. And it was in, um, there was this place called the Wakefield Markets. And during the daytime, the Wakefield Markets, the bottom floor was a food court and the top floor would have a whole bunch of like 
um, secondhand clothing stores, knickknacks, very curiosities. And the thing about this place, what was really important was in the food court section, a lot of um, immigrant families would have like run like their first sort of tester kitchen or small restaurant in this before they went on to go and have their own space, like running like a Syrian restaurant or an Ethiopian restaurant or Mexican or whatever. So whenever you went there, like there were always like new people bringing um, like cuisine that we hadn't maybe um, tried or had access before. So that was really exciting. And at night time, they'd clear the whole place out and these sort of events would go on there. And um, mm-hmm. Steps was this sort of um, jungle drum and bass hardcore thing. And it was one of these great nights that you go to where you, you'll never find the DJ. Mm. You get in there, you get into the rooms, the lasers are going, the lights are going, the smoke, everyone's having a great time, but you'll never find the DJ. You'll never know where the DJs are. You just have to be in the moment and enjoy the experience, you know? You can't do that thing that happens up. Now we see it where everyone faces towards the DJ. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't like that. I hate that. <laughs> I feel like it definitely uh, well, the energy, you know? Well, what, you know, because we both DJ, and I think what sometimes the audience can forget about, and I blame EDM for this mostly, mm-hmm. is um, like what we're really trying to do is we're trying to create a space for them to have a good time together. Right. You know, but um, I mean, you know, the, the sort of the EDM framing that emerged from, I guess, the mid-2000s onward, it's all sort of the DJ reframed and... Um, like a rock star, like in a big sort of festival rock concert where the buzz is all about watching the DJ right. get on the stage and let off fireworks. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I mean, look, back in the 70s, you know, from what I understand, I mean, I know down the way it was down here, um, and I imagine it would have been the same in the States because the guys who started it were like, like guys who came down from America. They called them performance DJs. Mm. And so the performance DJ would have a costume. Um, there was one in particular who played at this really famous club called Dr. John's. Um, he used to ride into the venue on roller skates. He'd roller skate into the venue introducing himself. He'd like twirl around, what? go up onto the stage. He'd start playing. He'd be breathing fire while he was DJing. He'd be like juggling. He'd just be doing like all this sort of showmanship kind of stuff just to make it more of an experience for the punters. Yeah, I mean, which isn't a bad thing, right? But I do think that in this new context of the uh, DJ being somewhat of a superstar, the music tends to get lost. And then you have like really annoying things that happen, right? Like people coming up to you with that stupid app now asking for uh, songs and (laughs) all kinds of crazy stuff. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, look, I just think the thing is, is um, it all depends on what you got into it for, right? Yeah. Mm. You know, some people, the reason that they are a DJ now is because they saw someone like um diplo mm. at like an edm festival right. and that's what they want to do and then there's other people who want to be a dj because they saw like someone with like really amazing taste who crafted this really like incredible journey and like made this amazing atmosphere and um you know a lot of like people who a lot of really good DJs, like in my experience, tend to have, you know, a bit of the social anxiety stuff, or maybe there's a little bit of stuff going on in the spectrum. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, I really want to be at the party. Mm-hmm. How can I be at the party and survive being at the party? Okay, if I'm playing the music, I've got something to do. Right. You know, the whole thing of just being there and partying, like for some people, that's very challenging. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. 
But also don't get mad at the DJ if they don't want to necessarily be up there dancing and like engaging with people. Maybe just being behind the decks is enough for them, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Like, so sort of quite often, I think when these problems emerge, it's sort of a mismatch. You know, I feel like this is the sort of thing that like um, Elijah would make a yellow square about, you know, where um, <laughs> the idea of what the event is hasn't been clearly communicated to the audience so you get like the wrong people coming into the club with the wrong expectations or maybe like the organizer hasn't properly figured out how to communicate um what the actual offering is um, mm -hmm. communication and i think that's a challenge for all of us right you know we always need to be working on how to um communicate like what we're doing and how to connect it with the right people and you know create meaningful experiences um but sometimes everyone's just so overworked yeah. Like doing a million hustles like at once to try and um I mean I think about it now like you know I mean I'm 40 now and like I mean 20 years ago like when I look at how affordable it was for people to live yeah. in a lot of these really cool centers around the world and just you know work part-time like do their musical art stuff like it was so much easier but I look at the kids now who are doing this kind of thing who I meet and they'll be like 22 like studying working two jobs trying to do a creative discipline um yeah. that's really tough yeah i can imagine i'm literally living that right now like writing full-time djing and then i'm also thinking about picking up some um you know, uh, teaching lessons, you know, to help kids that are interested in uh, getting into this crazy world of DJing as well. So all of it, I absolutely love, but I have to do what I have to do to stay afloat. So I definitely understand that. Yeah. I mean, where you are is super expensive in terms of like uh, living costs. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of like the whole, this whole sort of <laughs> COVID um, induced inflation thing is pretty real everywhere right now like when i it's sometimes you know i just have to stop and look at all the um the stuff that's happening you know all the travel issues of travel that seems to be going on in europe at the moment and like the rising costs of things and shortages and um and i just think man it's been so crazy like the whole the whole thing of covid happening like it was like i'd never seen anything like that in my lifetime yeah yeah, it was absolutely nuts. I mean, I think when I came out of it or when we came out of it, if we're even out of it still, I don't know what what's happening at this point. I don't think we're out of it. Yeah. I don't think we are. Yeah. But I think for some of us, we have to tell ourselves that we're out of it because, um, yeah, it's quite psychologically challenging for things people had to go through. Seriously. Um, and like thinking about it from an artistic or creative standpoint for all the people that were... DJing full time or doing some some sort of creative discipline uh, for the last who knows, you know, and then having to try and supplement income with different side gigs during that time that must have been like completely traumatizing on top of yeah. the loss, the catastrophic loss of life, you know. And let me be clear, like in some ways down here we were extraordinarily lucky because mm -hmm. of our um, leadership, um, the New Zealand um, Labour and. Green Party Coalition um, under, led by Jacinda Ardern. I mean, the reality was we went into lockdown, I think at the start of April 2020, like very quickly, um, a wide range of financial support packages were um, laid out that people like me were able to access. You know, I think um, within two weeks of whatever had happening, the um, government had put $7,000 into my bank account. Um, 
um, we were because um, being a archipelago, we were able to um, close off the um, close everything off, and we were able to. Um, yeah, I mean, by I think maybe three months in, the country was COVID-free for a period of time. But then um, all these other problems emerge once you do that, because to make um, to make somewhere COVID-free, you have to do a lot of restrictions on a movement in and out of the country, and you're using quarantine hotels and things, and then that throws up a whole other bunch of issues if that, that makes it difficult for citizens to return home. And, you know, you've got all these people sitting around on the internet who don't normally sit around on the internet and um next thing you know you have really bizarre QAnon style um protests happening um in the um the parliament grounds with people who were um down here there was a group of people who were camped out for about a month and it was essentially a month-long 90s style music festival um fighting for um quote unquote freedom and liberty and all the strange stuff um got really weird um but hey hey we've all got interesting stories all of our countries have got interesting stories to tell right yeah certainly mine does <laughs> it definitely does yeah i mean look wow i mean that's a whole that's a whole podcast series in itself yeah um, what i wanted to say though about i feel like something we should talk about here though with that whole thing of how this the transformation how everyone had to adapt Mm-hmm. This is a whole amazing generation of new producers and DJs from New York, like people who we both know and talk to, you know, the sort of the Kush Jones, Swisher, like all of that generation. Yeah. Um, all of those people, the whole, the way pan- pandemic happens, Bandcamp Friday gets unveiled and all of those people putting a project up a month for a year, maybe a year and a half, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you look at like where all of them are at now, now as they're able to open up and tour and do things again, that incredible output of energy that I think was probably quite psychologically traumatic for a lot of them in some ways, like seems to have like really elevated a whole generation into um, a mm-hmm. new position. Yeah, literally. There's just so much energy going around the city right now. It's incredible. I almost feel like the city... <laughs> Nightlife got 10 times better than it was before we went into this crazy period. Um, but yeah, it's, it's even unique, right? To see her traveling now, going to festivals. Yeah. She had just been dreaming to be on the line above, and now she's like doing it, killing it, you know? Oh, I mean, like, um, unique's a rocket, like yeah. blasting off. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. On road, on road, on road, on road. Oh my god! That you know that that one of the most rewarding things I think about having a really long engagement in music, which for me has been in you know DJing, music journalism, broadcast radio events, copywriting workshops, all this crazy stuff over the last twenty years. One of the most rewarding things is like watching um, amazingly talented people go from nothing to something to sometimes to superstardom. just being able to see this sort of thing happen is so incredible. Mm-hmm. And I've been lucky to see it across quite a wide range of genres because because as a result of this country being quite small, I think New Zealand's like four and a half million people. Um, mm-hmm. So in the late 2000s, early 2010s, back when um, we still had print music magazines, back before the um, effects of the global financial crisis had really hammered everything, plus the whole rise of the internet. Like I wrote for about eight 
local magazines and newspapers. So for this period of time, I basically got to write about like pretty much everyone who was doing music in this country, whether it was like folk or rock or hip hop or R&B or jazz or house or techno or electronic and experimental. And um, yeah. yeah. And some of these people like from these sort of small set of islands at the end of the world, like that um, most people probably um, only associate. I mean, what are, what do you associate New Zealand with? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to describe it. You know that song, um, you know that song, How Bizarre? Mm-mm. Cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun. How bizarre? How bizarre? You never heard that? Never heard it. <laughs> never heard How Bizarre? Wow. No. You gotta listen, go listen to that. That's yeah. from here. That was like a global hit record in like the 90s. Wow. Um, Lord, Lord's from here. Oh, okay. Okay. That's yeah, good. I know who this, but I don't know <laughs> what the song is. <laughs> you know, um, do you know Unknown Mortal Orchestra? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's from here. Ah, Unknown Mortal Orchestra, Orchestra is only one person. I thought it was like multiple people. Well, it's a band, but he makes yeah. certain music. Ah, gotcha. It's like with Tame Impala, like they're bedroom geniuses. You know, they're in their basements with all the gear doing everything. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love Tame Impala, actually. I mean, obviously, he's like, I mean, you and I, he's like musicians he works with and collaborators and stuff, but basically, he can do the whole thing himself. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. You DJ. What kind of music do you DJ? I mean, you have an incredible taste in music and a wide range of things that you listen to. So when you're out playing, what can people expect from? A Martin set. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? Like I was talking to someone the other day about how hard of a question like this sort of thing can be. Mm-hmm. But I'll try and um I'll try and simplify it. So I at the moment I play a couple of times a month at a um in the bar at a Burmese restaurant called Mabel's in Wellington on sort of Friday or Saturday nights. And usually when I play down there, I, to be honest, lately I've been playing like a mixture of like West London Broken Beat and like Baltimore Club. Nice. Yeah, like a lot of, I've been playing like a lot of like late 90s, early 2000s Broken Beat, like a lot of like from like the Bugs in the Attic era. But then at the same time, like, I mean, like, look, I mean, people like, I mean, DJ Technics, like Scotty B, all of that. Like, I mean, that stuff's great. Um, but then like if something was a bit more, sedate like on saturday night i played at this banquet at a um syrian restaurant in this community hall up near where i live and Mm -hmm. i just played a whole bunch of um first half um just old uk street soul records and then in the second half i sort of got this weird obsession last year and i started like looking all around the world to find um different versions of um like New Jack Swing records that were recorded in like Japan or France or mm. Australia or um, Norway, just all these like funny little sort of pockets of people who were trying to make their version of New Jack Swing in the um, in the nineties, and I've ended up with about eight hours of it. Mm. And like the French stuff is awesome because it's all people who are from the French African community, like, and they just like, I mean, you know, like Paris, it's fucking cool, right? <laughs> Paris, they're fucking stylish, you know. The scene and fucking all of that in Paris. These people are real stylish and real talented. Um, mm. and then there's like this weird sort of thing where, with some of these countries, there's this phenomena where um, people who were pop artists would get like a new Jack Swing remix or do like a new Jack Swing single. And then like some of the Japanese stuff is great. It's sort of, I guess, it follows on from the whole city pop thing. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Like it's like, but it's not. It's not definitely not J-pop, but it definitely follows on from that. All these funny little bits and pieces. So like, I've been playing like a lot of that recently as well. Um, oh. but um, yeah. For years, I mean, I spent about five years playing a lot of lot of city pop and like Japanese boogie records and um, like sort of you know MPB. You ever play any of that? Mm-mm, no, but I've been yeah, the Brazilian, the Brazilian stuff like Emilio Santiago and Sandra Sá, ah! basically just like boogie records made in Brazil. Ah, I've been obsessing yeah. over uh, like Japanese boogie records, in particular Yutaka Yokakura. Uh, he made yeah. a really, yeah, he made a really incredible uh, album. What is it called Love Light? I think it's from 1978. Crazy dragonfly is one of my favorite songs, and knowledge, yeah. I mean, that's (laughs) that's foundational, like that's really there's some foundational stuff. They're crazy, right? Because you obviously, you know, they got all the technology, yeah. All that technology was being made so quickly in Japan, late 70s and into 80s. And um, then I mean, obviously, you know, they love music so much, so all of the records coming in from everywhere in the world. And that whole approach of the labels where you could basically go and work as a musician at a label, almost like an office job, mm-hmm. put your suit on, go to the label, you've got your studio unit and you just put your eight hours in um, doing songs. So I feel like that allowed them to respond so quickly because when you listen to some of that stuff mm-hmm. and just how rapidly they would have been listening to like, I mean, all those foundational records, you know, people like Shalima, like Patrice Russian, like all that, all that stuff just hearing it and then like turning out their version of it probably like three months later or something like yeah that's a fact do you ever get like when you do play some of those like obviously it's not like esoteric to us but maybe to someone who's just kind of like sitting at the bar who doesn't quite know about it do you ever feel people uh like you know you get the kind of the stink eye from people when you're playing (laughs) some more obscure records (laughs) look i think I think it's a sad reality that if you're playing non-English language music in any country that's considered to be a majority English-speaking country, there's a certain type of person who's going to have a problem with you doing that. Yeah. Um, and um, I um, think um, we're at this point we're almost on a bound to just keep doing it and make them angrier and angrier and angrier because, you know, you really, you really have to ask yourself, you know, if that's what's annoying you. Mm. Why is it annoying you, you know? And if you're that annoyed about that, should you really be out at nighttime? That's a fact. You know, because if that if that's what, if you're mad because you can't understand the language that the songs are in, mm-hmm. it might be time to go home, eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's very uh, <laughs> Yeah, but another another thing that, like, I got, like, I got really hooked on during the pandemic is... Um, yeah, I sort of, I got this idea in my head and I was like, okay, because, you know, I've been, like, really um, enjoying, like, listening to a lot of the Street Soul records again after I had, um, I had the, this really couple of great opportunities. I got to interview um, Robert Roper, who was the guy behind Top Secret Recordings, TSR. They're the UK label that um, had acts like Special Touch and Gold in the Shade, like really like sort of super like foundational, like really special street soul stuff. And here's this amazing DIY guy where they really, they did everything themselves. Like their studio was next door to a pressing plant and they designed their own labels. And um, and I met a few other people. Like I met the guy who was baseline, who did the song You're Gone. Um, 
And these people just had this amazing entrepreneurial spirit with how they were doing it all at the time. They were doing everything in-house. They all had home studios. Most of them were working day jobs. And they were just like, just grabbing like this. The singer would just be like the girl next door or like their brother or something mm. making these incredible records. And I started thinking, okay, fuck, like fucking, were, were we doing this? Was this sort of happening? <laughs> so I slowly pieced together a few hours of like sort of like bedroom street soul new jack swing style records recorded in new zealand in the 90s and um, i made a presentation for nts and i think 2020 it's called a mix called closer like mm-hmm. sort of street soul and like swing beat from Aotearoa, new zealand um so i did one for a presentation for nts and then a presentation for um dub lab seasons i think as well of these two sort of things um so i guess like a lot of a lot of the djing like really like the last like while has been hovering around that sort of mid-tempo but then like like i said like lately like the whole west London broken beat thing's been happening for me again so um yeah kind of doing a bit of up-tempo stuff too i love that have you been following the discourse on twitter about the opening dj set and how uh people seem to have their own kind of interpretation about what an opening DJ should do and all that stuff? Uh, I haven't been following it in depth, but I know what you're talking about. I just want to say quickly, mm. I just want to send a shout out to like a DJ who I think was probably one of the greatest opening DJs mm. in the history of New York, the New York jungle drum and bass scene, Casino of Legend. He used to open up at Concrete Jungle back in the day. If you yeah. don't know about Cassine, go on find no. out about the scene because <laughs> he was the one of the coolest dudes i met like the first time i came to new york in the early 2000s and um he'd open up at concrete jungle he'd open up for everyone and he'd just set the vibes immaculately and um i just think a support dj who can build things up and is able to like put their ego and coach check um can create pretty legendary conditions for an evening right yeah, that's exactly what it is. I just hate I mean, sometimes. Like, why? Why does that have to be a part of the the discourse, right? Why can't everyone just agree to disagree and just enjoy the music? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole, like, look, I mean, I get it. You know, the whole thing, some people feel like they have to go as hard as they can to try and steal the show because they feel like that's the only way they're going to make an impact or right. get to the next level. I, I get it. Like, I totally get that for some people. Um you know, we all we've all got different circumstances, right? Just mm. different circumstances, different lives, different factors that drive our behavior. Like I remember there was this thing on Twitter a few years ago where um Billy Eilish's brother, um, Phineas, was talking about how he thinks that new musicians coming up, they should just collaborate within their um friend circle or the people they work with. Don't try and work with like established artists or big names. Just do your own thing and build your own scene. And eventually as your quality of work becomes better, that'll become exciting to people. And um, then like they'll have to negotiate with you in your terms because mm-hmm. they're coming to you for the hot shit. And um, I mean, like I instinctually, I agree with that, but I also know that not everybody, um, has the um support infrastructure in place to sustain them until they get to that point right and some people are talented but if they can't fucking um land the right remix or get the right slot or sort of find some way to work with someone or whatever like maybe they'll never be heard 
So if they have that opportunity, they're always going to try and do it. And we've seen it. We see it through the history of so much music. You know, sometimes it's just the right feature or the right... Um, sometimes it's even just the right person hearing your music. You know, like I feel like there's a pocket in electronic pop music for a while there where if um, Grimes or Charlie XCX like, tweeted or posted about your music, you were kind of low-key a little bit of a star a bit after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of these people were really like, and I mean, look, if they don't hear your work, like, so I don't know, like, I kind of, I think I sort of see both sides on these sort of things and kind of like you, I'm like, can we just fucking have some fun? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of aspects of life that are pretty horrible already. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but I love a good opening set. I'll ask, I will like, in like intentionally ask to be put first before uh, a midnight or like kind of like, you know, after hour set. Yeah. I love watching people come in. I love setting the intention for the night. And I just love watching that buildup occur throughout the night. So yeah. 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 And that's that's why you're gonna be here for a long time, Shannon. No, thank you. <laughs> so tell me, what are you listening to right now? Is there a favorite album that is just like everyone needs to listen to that you're listening to at this yeah. point? Yeah, yeah, there there is actually. There is yeah. um <laughs> actually uh, so, okay, so so a couple of couple of years ago, just as the pandemic was setting in, one of my um, friends in Melbourne, Chris Bonato, he runs this um, reissue label called Left Ear Records. Um, he put this post up on Instagram, and he was like, "Hey, I've got a whole bunch of dead stock copies of this amazing um, sort of ambient meets minimal jazz meets experimental um, cassette tape, but it was recorded in Brisbane and Australia in the eighties. It was called Picture Music. Um, so I I ordered a copy." And, you know, that summer I listened to it fucking heaps. Beautiful, really evocative. It was sort of like the way I would describe it is it's like it's like you're like driving down the freeway through the fog and you can just see the glimmer of the city lights like in the distance through it. And, you know, the night just feels like, you know, the adventure, just so much adventure and possibility in this really beautiful nocturnal record. And then I just sort of forgot about it. Um, and, um, <laughs> and um, basically a couple of... A few months ago, I was over in Australia. Mm. So over in Melbourne um, for some DJ gigs and to go to this festival called Rising. And basically, Chris was like, yeah, I've managed to negotiate. I'm going to reissue it. I'm going to do it on vinyl. Um, mm. And I fucking started listening to it again digitally because I'd only ever listened to it on cassette. Mm-hmm. Just on fucking Walkmans and stuff. And I started listening again. And I was like, fuck, it's even fucking better than I thought. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I think fucking I kind of need to like I need to talk to these people and try and figure out what was going on. Um, <laughs> so I went and did like a whole bunch of interviews with a bunch of the um, musicians who were involved, and I wrote this um, story about all of it, which is up on um, test pressing mm. right now. I actually put that up yesterday. But um, just to cliff note it, so these, Brisbane was a real cultural wasteland in the 80s. If you were into, into anything like that would be considered even slightly left of centre. Like, it really, there wasn't a scene for you. So these guys had their um, own little world, and a lot of it was just jamming with each other and um, friends' houses and making use of the newest gear available and just sitting around smoking weed and listening to records friends brought back from New York. And um, there's this whole burgeoning independent filmmaker thing happening in Australia at the time. And uh, they got this idea in the head that, Maybe they could be the guys doing the soundtrack work for movies and television and adverts and things. 
So they recorded this tape and it was basically a spec tape to give out to people in the film and television industry to try and secure opportunities. Mm-hmm. And they ended up um, putting a few of the copies of the tape into this really cool Brisbane record store called Rocking Horse just to sell some. Um, anyway, they got a couple of spec things. Not much happened. Everyone moved on in their lives. Um, and um, about um, 30 years later or something, the daughter of one of the main members had died a few years earlier she's throwing a whole bunch of old stuff from the house out she puts this box of um his cassettes out for curbside rubbish collection Mm. anyway one of the local like dj collector guys comes wandering down the street sees this box Mm. and he's like oh shit better fucking grab that (laughs) so grabs it takes it to a local record store Mm. um and i mean they go through it all oh, shit, we've never seen this before. Fuck, what's this? Oh, fuck, this is interesting. All right, let's fucking put these copies up. Fucking... And anyway, my friend fucking comes wandering into the store that day, you know, and sees, like, you know, a little tape on display with sign, like, rare Australian fucking New Age or whatever on it, you know, listens to about 15 seconds, and he's like, I'm fucking sold. And um, from there begins the journey to the whole thing being um, reissued and represented. But the music is beautiful. And also, like, when you hear it, so the music has no drums. There's Ooh. no drums. But when you hear it, like, you, you'll you be hearing it and you'll be like, mm, I, could, I could put some drums on that, you know. I could put a little, <laughs> <laughs> a little break beat, you know, a little 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 hassle techno beat over that. So I feel like once people hear it, it might be a thing that people might want to sample or do remixes of. Um, yeah, I gotta listen to it when we have Yeah, really nice. Listen to it late at night. If you wake up, do you are you one of those people who wakes up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep? Oh, all the time. <laughs> so when that happens to me, I put on my headphones and I listen to an album from start to finish. Don't look at my phone. I just put my headphones on, listen to an album, turn the lights out, just listen. Wow. And after that, I find I just go back to sleep quite well. Um, that whole thing's interesting, right? Because there's a lot of writing about it now. They call it like segmented sleep or second sleep. And there's this idea that prior to the Industrial Revolution, that was just what people did. Ooh. You know, because obviously, you know, before like the electricity and all of that, less access to lights, you know, candle. If you had the cash, you had all the candles. <laughs> if you didn't have the cash, you know, which was the vast majority the people like i mean what were you meant to do when the sun went down right yeah so a lot of people would go to sleep earlier and they'd sleep for a few hours and they'd wake up in the middle of the night for a couple of hours and people would do things you know pray pray think about stuff you know maybe talk to their loved ones like whatever um, and then go back to sleep and then wake up again um then the industrial revolution happens and it's like Okay, we need all of you fucking at the factory by 7 a.m., five days a week. We can't have any of this sort of ad hoc waking up when you feel like it stuff anymore. <laughs> you can get out of here, buddy. You've all got to sleep seven or eight hours a night. Um. <laughs> um, now that we're on the topic of just like incredible albums, I've been revisiting uh, George Duke's A Brazilian Love Affair. And when I tell you just like listening to that album from start to finish, I think... That album really like was the 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 aha moment for me in terms of like wanting to DJ, oddly enough, because it was the perfect kind of timeline between funk, 
between Bossa Nova. I mean, just that fusion together on that album was just, yeah, I don't know. It, it really spoke to my heart, you know? So I think, I think George Duke is really important to a lot of people who make music or play music. You know, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, in, in places that people maybe wouldn't expect as well. Mm-hmm. I know that George Duke is one of Ty Dolla Sign's favorite artists. Um, which isn't surprising if you remember Ty and Corey, which was the Neo Soul duo that Ty was in before the whole Ty Dolla Sign paranoid, like ratchet music DJ mustard thing. <laughs> ratchet music. <laughs> yeah, the duo they had where they, um, him and Corey, like sort of singing and rapping over like Jay Dilla, like beats and like sort of like loops and stuff like that. And also, like, I mean, all the ties, there's uh, the um, Sarah Creative Partners album from that period of time. And about six of the songs they say featuring Ty, and I mean that's Ty Dollar. So I mean, yeah, obviously, like I mean, you know, people contain multitudes. Right. You can do commercial R and B and also just love George Duke more than anything in life. Um, but I think a lot of people, a lot of people say stuff like that about George Duke and George Duke Records, and I think also um because I was something I was thinking about since I started playing with West London Broken Beat again. I was sort of going and reading and looking at what they were listening to before they made that stuff. And, you know, they were listening to things like, um, yeah, like his records, like his sort of mid-70s records, um, Herbie Hancock, Manchild album, Headhunters, um, right. like all these different, all this kind of stuff, all the stuff which is like the intersection of jazz and synthesizers or jazz and synthesis. And that sort of was laying that and um, things like electro and, breakbeat stuff was laying the foundation for that whole how that whole broken beat generation was thinking mm-hmm. um but with the boss and other thing though too fuck, it's so interesting one of like my biggest wishes for um like people who do vocal based music you know mm. whether they were like a folk singer or a pop star or a soul or r&b singer my biggest wish is that people doing vocal based music would always experiment more with incorporating boss and over elements into what they're doing mm. Because it's just the most cool and smooth and stylish like yeah. set of motifs you can use, and it can just really elevate a piece of music into something incredible, right? Yeah, that's a fact. There's actually um, a producer here named Brain Orchestra in New Jersey who just like samples nothing but like old bossa nova records. He's actually Brazilian too, so the way he's able to sample it up and just chop it together, it's out of this world. No, it's- <laughs> It's an incredible, like, I mean, what Brazil has brought to the world musically, what they've given us from the sort of 60s until now, it's really, it's like, I mean, what can you say? It's breathtaking, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, yeah, because the, um, it's funny speaking of Bossa Nova, another record I really, really like, and this is like a chill record. This is a super chill record. Um, it's called The World's Greatest Unknown, and it's by a, a singer-songwriter from Atlanta. His name was name was Cy Timmons. This was recorded in the 70s. And he was just a guy who um, was basically just a crooner who would sing at a local um, nightclub called Erewhon. And um, his whole thing, he was listening to all of the bossa nova stuff, and he... Um, he was trying to do sort of a fusion of it and the American folk and folkloric music traditions. So he'd have like those sort of bossa nova guitar styles and that to the vocal delivery. But then he'd do things like he'd sort of imitate rhythm noises like with his mouth or saxophone noises, 
but um yeah the centerpiece of this record is the title track um about like how like if it sort of worst comes worse he'll be happy to be the world's latest greatest unknown <laughs> he like the way he introduces himself i thought he was so prescient you know i really thought he would have been great on twitter if he was a lot younger at the start he goes i'm a singer songwriter performer clown <laughs> <laughs> this oh. incredible incredible voice though really really chill really um really incredible really good. another record that's coming out soon that i fucking really like um it's coming out in september mm. it's um uh, by a musician uh, a group the group's well the group is a musician it's called um the musician is called um clear path ensemble and it is, um, I suppose, the way I would describe it is, um, you know, when like all the stuff started, um, the whole UK um, jazz like crossing over with um, dance music and sort of pirate radio culture, um, that whole thing with like people like um, Yusuf Kamal and. Um, like Sons of Kemet and that whole whole kind of thing that started happening a few years ago. I guess like Kamasi Washington's kind of like sort of something similar, but with more of like a beats or hip hop kind of focus on the US. Um, right. So he's in, he's in that sort of space. So Corey Corey Champion Cleopath Ensemble. He's like like a jazz drummer and composer, but he's also a house and techno and sort of like electro dub um, producer and dj and like plays in a million different bands and he's got this project he's brought together where it's sort of intersection of jazz and dance music quite often like the performances would be about 10 people on stage um and um yeah, he's made this record called solar eclipse it's coming out on soundway records in september and it's just that really nice balance between danceable and um relaxing listenable it finds that space you know periodically you find those records they're sort of like uh, yeah. Um, yeah 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 some people can do it really well like it could be it's a relaxing record but it's also a dance floor record they just manage that tension um you know who yeah, i feel so like can can achieve that uh katie tate uh katie tatham also does that very well thanks mm-hmm. yo that guy i swear he knows <laughs> secret chords on the keyboard Wow. There's some chords that he could. People like are trying to find his his chords, and they're like, "I need more keys on the keyboard." You know, like this is keyboard of extra keys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, my god. No, Cardi's a legend. Like I don't, I don't understand why we don't give Cardi more love. Mm-hmm. Like, he needs unbelievable <laughs> for sure. Thanks. No. So when are you coming to New York? Anytime soon? Well, I used to come once a year. Before mm-hmm. the pandemic, before the pandemic, once a year, I used to go on a circuit through Asia and Europe and the US. Oh. Um, and I would very much like to start doing that again, but I have a fucking bad feeling that it probably won't be until next year. I feel mm-hmm. like um, there's still a few hurdles that need to be uh, overcome with the travel systems and things and stuff. I just keep hearing um horror stories about yeah. people like at the moment, like um Egyptian um lover mentioned um that the last time he was on tour in Europe the um they lost his record bags twice <gasps> oh my god there two different scenarios where they lost his record bags and he just sort of like has looked at the situation and he was basically like I can't tour under these conditions I'm gonna go back to LA and chill out until 2023 and then we'll try it again Jesus so cancelled the whole entire thing and 
Yeah, he was just like, it's too hard. Like, the, um, just not knowing, like, whether, like, your stuff's going to turn up or not. And, I mean, for his performance, I mean, like, most of us have, like, seen, like, Egyptian Lover perform. His thing is a recreation of what he was doing in the mid-80s mm. Uncle Jack's Army. So he needs to have those bags of records. He needs to have that NPC. Like, he has to use the turntables. It's all you can't... I mean, look, I mean, I think, like, he's definitely charismatic enough that you could put him on CDJs. But, I mean, <laughs> I don't think he'd want to do that. No, no, it definitely wouldn't be like, no, it wouldn't be the same. So <laughs> history piece, that's what he's doing, is he's really keeping alive a feeling that existed in Los Angeles. Mm. And just really, like, you go and see him, and everything that you see him do on stage is what he did or as he would have done it in that period of time. Like, really. <laughs> and no rust either. Like, it's this is the other thing that's really exciting also right now, I think. We're in this period of time where we have like djs in their late 50s and 60s mm. and like some of them are like they haven't lost anything nothing let me tell you i um saw carrie chandler play at the knockdown center on my birthday and when i tell you he did not miss a beat like what five six hours straight he played from like three to nine and just incredible the entire time and i'm like it takes so much, so many years and so much dedication to this craft to get that good, you know, <laughs> to the point where I was like, will I ever be that good, <laughs> you know? Well, the other thing is, is, I mean, what you're describing, people like that, like, the thing I've always found terrifying is how quickly they're able to tap into flow state. Mm -hmm. You know, they lock in fast. Like, I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, how long does it, if you're DJing, you know, if you start playing a set, because I guess you you're doing you do some of the long ones now, like where you'll do like a whole night, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and it's like I mean I don't know like I don't know what it's like for you, but I mean I definitely find like sometimes like I mean the first hour is just like getting connected, right? You know, and then it's a point that you hit, and then you're connected, and then you know it just gets easier and easier. Mm -hmm. um, but some of these guys, I, I mean, and these women, like some of these people, they seem to be able to lock in in 15 minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the two mix, mixes in and like they're in, and I'm just like, damn. <laughs> yeah, but that was like an incredible set. I mean, that had been on my bucket list to see Gary Chandler, uh, Gary Chandler play. So really happy I got a chance to see him. And yeah, just kept the energy going the entire time from three to close. Like, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's like there's some really fucking and there's some good people out there, right? Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, I didn't ask you. Do you produce as well, or? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I don't do that. I don't do that. There's <laughs> been periods in the past where I've like played around with um the stuff. I mean, if you put a if you if you if you put a gun to my head, I could program you a drum beat on a drum machine. <laughs> but um no i don't I, I, I don't something i have been doing though like the last few years which is starting to go somewhere is um before the pandemic i started um taking film photographs again Ooh. Oh, awesome. got really 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 into film photography like using different types of cameras and different types of films and um over the last couple of years i've started periodically people will be like hey can you um um, can you take um, some press photos for us or hey would you sell me uh, like 
A3 print of that photograph that you took, or hey, could I use like one of your images to illustrate a um, personal essay or something that I wrote? So I've been starting to do a bit more stuff like that, which is, I guess, is a, um, a visual arts practice, which is something that hasn't really um, been a big part of what I've done in the past. That's awesome. I think I saw you. That's exciting. Yeah, I think I saw you tweet a couple of photos and one kind of looked like, like uh, Cookie Monster was in the club or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. little black and white. Yeah. That was actually um, from um, Asquith from Lobster Theremin. Oh, nice. Came down and played. I've never, uh, I've, I've never really seen someone play a two and a half hour, 170 BPM donk set before. Wow. I mean, I've seen people like play happy hardcore and stuff back in the day, but the donk thing is something that I hadn't really witnessed. Um, and, like it was, it was very interesting. It was an interesting thing to see, like just the <laughs> the relentlessness of it, just yeah. charging. And were people yeah. like digging it too? Oh, you know, they were loving it. They were all about it. I, it was <laughs> sort of like I felt like I felt like donk is the soundtrack to meme pages. <laughs> Meme, you know when the meme pages are really busy and overwhelming, like <laughs> all the different layers, sort of yeah. like that. It was really crazy. It was a really crazy night. Really, really crazy. That's awesome. But yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I definitely have to have you back again sometime to just talk about yeah music in general because finally I can nerd out with somebody about some different kinds of music. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I think you've got a really great hosting style. I'm hoping that um, at some point you'll be able to take what you're doing and turn it into something that can um, be events in real life. Um, oh, I was talking to um, I was talking to Noir about it the other day, and we thought it could be good if you had a segment called Walk the Plank, where people have to walk a plank blindfolded while you're asking them questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a really no, great... I just think I think you've really got something, Shannon. You know, you've got a great engaging style with it, and it's just really. Um, I feel like we're just sitting outside and just you know having a couple of drinks and talking mm. on the steps, and yeah. it's super cool. I think all the guests you've been choosing are super cool, and um, I really hope the higher powers are um, watching and paying attention because. They don't want to fumble this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me. We're coming out of the interview between me and Martin Pepperell. What a nice chat. Really excited and super dope to have someone on the show to just kind of nerd out with about different music scenes. It was definitely a vibe and we have to have him on the show again. And I actually really like that segment idea that him and Noir uh, thought about for the show. Maybe I'm going to make that happen in some way, some form, you know, if I can have a physical show somewhere, that'd be really dope. And you know what? It might be happening sooner or later. I will keep you posted on those on that uh, on that idea because, uh, yeah, it could be could be happening very soon. I will say, um, but thank you so much for tuning into the show again. My apologies for being away for a couple of weeks, uh, but yeah, if you've been following me on social media, you know that sis is working all the time to the point where I'm like, oh my god, I need to take a nap. I can't wait for a vacation after all of this hard-earned work, you know? So I'm looking forward to some downtime, but I'm super excited in the meantime to be 
creating these incredible, unforgettable experiences for you and with you all. Uh, but yes, if you would like to support the show, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash club management one. You get access to early episodes, an interview with me if you'd like. And it's just a way for you to keep up with what we are doing here and the magic that we are creating here on club management. So please follow us. Uh, and yeah, any suggestions for the show, feel free to email me. I'll have that info in the comment section. Peace, love until next time.